Hello out there, Sitka, and welcome back to Speaking of Hope, the official podcast of Sitka's Hope Coalition. My name is Missy Monjovi, and today we're going to be continuing with our stories of recovery. Last week, we heard from Leo Jimmy, who is approaching eight years of sobriety. Our conversation served as an opportunity for him to reflect on what his recovery journey has been like, as he shared with us how both the decisions he made and the help he received from others led him up to this moment. Despite facing numerous obstacles that could have easily thrown him off course, Leo's dedication and diligence to his program has kept him on a path of recovery. With nearly eight years of sobriety under his belt, he had a lot of valuable tools to share with us. We appreciate his insight, his wisdom, and his guidance. And as October approaches, we'd like to congratulate him on this huge accomplishment and wish him the best as he continues on his recovery journey. In just these last few episodes, we've seen that every journey is different, every story is unique, and every individual brings us a new perspective. And on that note, I'd like to welcome our next guest. Blake, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your recovery journey? Hi, my name is Blake, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. I am 14 months sober, which is crazy to say because I never thought I'd be able to say that. I have lived in Alaska for about a year and a half now. Most of that has been recovery related. My very first time drinking was in college and it kind of started out like most people um, with parties and stuff. But I actually, I've listened obviously throughout the past year in my recovery, I've heard so many stories about you know, other people's recovery. I realized mine compared to the majority was a lot quicker uh, from just casual drinking to boom, I'm in deep. I was pretty quick into waking up every morning and drinking and it was just a part of, it quickly became a part of who I was. And I actually knew early on that it was something that wasn't healthy. I was like, this probably isn't great. Um, This is gonna come and bite me in the butt someday. But I didn't think of it as like, oh, you're an alcoholic, you have a problem. I just thought of it as like, you're eating ice cream for breakfast. That's not good, you know, which is is tricky. You know, they teach you in recovery that, you know, addiction is, is, is sneaky like that. It's a sneaky thing. Anyways, so I moved up to Alaska last year. I basically was running away from alcoholism. I had quit uh, a job because my alcoholism doing that specific line of work just got way out of hand. So I kind of ran away. I wanted to be up in the wilderness and, you know, all of that. And alcoholism followed me up here. And last summer, I ended up uh, trying to end my life. And that actually landed me in a mental health unit, which then landed me into my first treatment center. Um, At the time, I was so not ready at all to go to treatment. I was like, oh my God, no, I've got, I've got two jobs. I've got a life. I got to go back. I got to, I've got things to do, you know, but it turns out that there's really no right time ever. There's just time and whatever happens, happens. You just have to make the most of it. And that's kind of what I did, which I'm glad I did that because now I'm, I'm here and I can say I'm 14 months sober and I have 
no, there's there's nothing in my mind ever planning on going back. Well, we're really glad you're here. Thank you for sharing that, Blake. So you mentioned that you didn't see drinking as an addiction. You know, you kind of saw it as a bad habit. What, I don't want to say what was the final straw, but what motivated you to say, okay, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to seek sobriety? Definitely waking up in the hospital after my suicide attempt was the most surreal thing that has ever happened to me. It's just not a feeling you plan for those those moments in your life. You, they're, they're, you can picture them in your head, but actually waking up, not knowing where I was, finding out later how much alcohol was actually in my system, and just your whole life flashes before your eyes. Like, how did I get here? It's like, I thought I'd hit rock bottom. Oh my God, this was like below that. I don't know what below rock bottom is like crab poop or something. It was so low. Let me start by saying this. Back when I had started drinking five years ago, drinking, drinking, I knew it wasn't that one day this was not going to be okay. I knew that having to go to my car during breaks at work and take a couple shots, I knew that wasn't okay, that normal functioning adults didn't do that. But it was always kind of like in the back of my head, like, well, one day you'll stop. You're still young. I don't know. Everyone has their thing. This is just yours. And you can't tell anybody about it. I, I had shut that voice down so small that it was just like this quiet little flicker. And then you just drown yourself in more alcohol and it goes away. So fast forward five years, I'm waking up in a hospital with these fluorescent lights and this not very nice doctor like talking to me. And I'm just like, it, everything flashed before my eyes. So it, it kind of all hit in one moment, like, okay. Um, they were like, we recommend a treatment center. I was like, oh my God. Okay. Okay. This is happening. Okay. You know, it was a big rush, but once I got into the very first treatment center, it was like, I unpacked my clothes and I had just sat on the bed there and I just kind of looked around. I remember just thinking, okay, well, this is what you're going to be doing for the next 30 days. So let's really do it. I, I walked out of my room and then I went to this little kitchen area and I met some other people, and the very first thing was that someone said to me was, oh, hey, you're the new guy? And I was like, yeah, I'm the new guy. It was just like, it was cool. It was like meeting people in college, but they already got you so much more than any other random stranger would get you because you had this one very fundamental thing in common, and therefore we had very fundamental trauma and pain and stuff in common. So it was, it was just really cool to be around other people that just get it. So to answer that question, I don't I don't know what it was specifically. I just I was thrown into that situation and I just went with it. And then the the further I along I got in the recovery process, the 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 stronger of a hold I kept. I just I held on tighter, especially on the rough days in rehab. I just I was like, "No, you're here. This is the only time you're going to be doing this. Let's let's make it let's make it happen." Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um I know we just met, and so, like, Alec and I really appreciate, like, your vulnerability and just, like, being willing to open up to us. Yeah. Also, I really admire your attitude of, like, I'm in treatment now, 30 days, like, let's get it. Like, you know, I'm here, like, let's make it count. And I'm wondering if there was something that stuck out to you in those first 30 days when you're like, okay, this is starting to make sense, or, like, I see how, how this is supposed to fit together. I know you said that some days were like more of a struggle. Mm -hmm. So maybe what 
what you fell back on mm. in those days? I don't know if there's one specific thing that made anything click. I think just the general attitude of being surrounded by people. I was a true closet alcoholic, not a soul new. I didn't even date anybody in my active drinking years, nothing. I didn't have, I had acquaintances, but I didn't even have friends. You know, my family didn't know and I lived with them. So to be thrown into this space where I'm living, sharing meals with, going to classes with every day and any recreation time it was with these people, like to be around people who just got it, that was probably just the overall kicker. Honestly, overall, being around other people in the group therapy aspect was crazy, crazy important. And I love when you um, said that you appreciated I was being vulnerable because I think vulnerability is literally the key to happiness if that's I I hear how that sounds but it's so true like I've never known true courage until I've been as vulnerable as I possibly can be because that's where strength comes from is being open and vulnerable and completely honest with yourself and then you can be honest with everyone else so it was it was just that environment of feeling naked which is so uncomfortable but once you do it, it's like, well, now I got nothing else to lose. You know, it's kind of like jumping out of a plane. You know, I can't get back in the plane right now. I'm, I'm, I'm here in the air. Might as well just live it up and make the most of it. So. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome to hear. And yeah, I can only imagine what it's like to just be able to connect with people on such a, a deep level and personal topic. And like you said, courage is like where vulnerability comes from. Like it's just you, like on a plate basically mm-hmm. when you're being vulnerable with someone. So I really admire that. One thing uh, that I can't help but wondering, as you said, uh, like nobody knew that you were drinking. So two things, what, what was it like when you opened up to your family or to your loved ones in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, now you're here. Yeah. So how, how did that change come about? I am very, very fortunate um, to have the parents I have, to have the grandparents I have, the family and friends that I have, at least to my face. No one is judgmental towards me at all. But even despite that, I was still nervous about them knowing. It's why I kept it a secret for five years, you know. I was ashamed of myself, and that was more than enough to keep it a secret. When I finally did open up and everyone found out, you know, there's really no secret. When when you're away at rehab for what ended up being five months, you can't just say, oh, Blake's out on a on a hiking trip. You know, it's I'm in rehab. And I remember I called my grandparents one time. I called my aunt one time while I was in rehab. And I remember being nervous dialing the phone. But when I answered the phone, I just talked. I just let go. There was no secrets. It was like I said, it was just this, it was weird because I was scared, but once I kept talking to them, there was just nothing to be scared of. And it, it was like 30 days of just an, an out breath, you know, like there's just no more, no more secrets. There was no amount of being scared to let people in that could have outweighed the relief I felt that they knew. There's, there's no relief like letting someone know who you really are. And what you really struggle with. So I really had to let people into my to my true demons. And it was uncomfortable and still is sometimes. Um, I can hear the nerves in my voice right now talking to you. And I've been sober for over a year. So it's an uncomfortable thing. But now I've kind of trained my brain where if it's uncomfortable, ooh, let's, let's do that. Because, yeah, your comfort zone will kill you. I think that's what I craved so much in life was to comfort myself. 
but I wasn't really, I wasn't truly comforting myself. I was just drowning out, literally drowning, <laughs> um, drowning out those feelings of shame and things I didn't like about myself. And I was trying to, oh no, that's a bad feeling. Let's, let's drink more and, and it'll go away. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't true self-care. Whereas now it's like, no, we're going to sit with these negative feelings. We're going to experience them. We're going to live them out and we're going to move on because that's growth. Everything else is just stunting my growth. That's awesome because that's not an easy thing to do. Oh, heck no. It's not easy. No, <laughs> no. Nothing, nothing about recovery is easy. Nothing about recovery is easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. No, no one in my recovery process said it was going to be easy, but they always said it was going to be worth it. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned it's, it's not easy. And mm-hmm. you said you're at 14 months right now, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So I guess over these like past 14 months, like what has been one of the most challenging parts of your recovery? And then despite that, how have you been able to maintain your sobriety? When I drank for five years, I was literally drinking 24-7. That really does something to your psyche, to your spirit, to everything. You don't deal with anything the same. You don't deal with your own thoughts the same. You don't deal with other people's interactions the same. So I really, over this last year without drinking, have come across so many situations where I know that with alcohol, it would have just covered it up and I would have been okay. But with certain situations like being stressed out and sad, I've dealt with family death, I've dealt with a breakup, I've dealt with moving on my own financial stress, all of the things that would have caused me to drink back then I've dealt with, but now I'm dealing with them, actually dealing with them versus drowning them out and covering them up. So I would say it's it's a, it's a more of a broad thing of just dealing with the daily struggles. Because honestly, some of the hardest days for me are just days. They're not even like big traumatic events. They're just days where you just feel down. It's like, okay, well, what are we going to do about that? So over the last year, it's been a lot of cultivating uh, a self-care attitude. And I think I have come up with quite a few different specific tools for me to use to self-parent. Self-parenting, I had always known the notion of it, but it was always a bit awkward to me to think of myself as a as a little kid and like self-parent, you know, but I was thinking about it like I am so capable of love and compassion and empathy and I'm the oldest of six kids and there's nothing I wouldn't do for my siblings. So I started taking the way that I am towards them. I just focused that towards myself and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable when you've self-hated for so long and addiction really just, it feeds off self-hatred. It's, you know, it needs something to feed off of and it fed off my shame. So I battled that with okay, I'm just going to love myself today. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to make sure that I get three meals and that I get some exercise and that I see sunlight today. All the things that I would make sure that someone I'm caring for, like my siblings, I just make sure I do that for myself. Because if I'm not taking care of myself, then I'm not really able to help anybody else in the world. totally relate to that it's so weird how it can be so much easier to like focus on other people and put so much energy and attention into them and then like just forget about yourself you're like wait wait like <laughs> rupaul always says if you can't love yourself how in the hell are you going to love somebody else if that is not the most truest thing 
if it wasn't such a famous quote, I'd put it on my gravestone. Honestly, <laughs> it's so true. And it sounded so corny for so long and everyone was saying it. I was like, I get it. It's cool. But it's it's so fundamentally true to just being I live by self-care now and it's, and I don't have it figured out. I mean, there are days where I'm just like, I'm coming home, I'm eating ice cream and I'm going straight to bed, you know? But then I think about it. If I was caring for like a little kid, would I let them do that? No, you know, that's not self-care. That's just, it's not drinking, but it's still not really taking care of yourself. It's that same mindset of avoidance that leads down some pathways I've been down before that I don't want to go on anymore. So it's kind of catching myself and utilizing tools I've learned in treatment and, you know, different things I've heard in like AA meetings and stuff to get myself back on track because I'm worth it. So great to hear. Um... I guess maybe you will feel that you've already touched on this, but like, how has your life changed since you've been in recovery? Um, I have a savings account. Um, <laughs> okay, so I moved into my very own apartment two months ago for the first time in my life. And it sounds so silly to air quote normal person, but it was a huge deal for me. It just was something that was kind of like a pipe dream to live without roommates. It's just a really good feeling. I feel more wholesome now. I have my own qualms with that word, but I, I do. I feel I, I the other day I was um I was making myself like a juice smoothie for breakfast and I was just I busted out laughing because I was like, what is my life right now? I woke up on time, I showered, and now I'm drinking like a smoothie for breakfast. Like I'm like a real adult. It just felt really good to care for myself. And I think the laughter kind of came out of a slight feeling of uncomfortability of like this is new, taking care of myself, you know? But like I said, uncomfortability is not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's a necessary thing. For sure. Thank you. <laughs> um, so going into like the last few questions, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to get sober? I'm trying not to be intimidated by that question. So I'm going to try to answer this as if it was me a year ago. What did I what did I need to hear that helped me? And what I heard that helped me was stop being so scared. Just just stop. You're you're getting in your own way. The things that kept me drinking was me. It was always me stopping myself. That same me that was stopping myself is the me now that's keeping myself going, you know? It's literally about mindset. At least for me. I would I guess I would also say realize that you're worth it. Feeling like I wasn't worth it was really what kept me drinking. Feeling unworthy of connection and love and all of the things that I have now. I have meaningful relationships now. I have raw emotions. I call my parents all the time and it feels good. And I finally realized that I'm, I'm worth that. There are some days that I was having to force myself to just say that over my head. You're worth it, Blake. You're worth it. And it felt awkward. It felt uncomfortable because there were days I was just, I was just saying it. But say it till you feel it, I guess, you know, it, because it, it worked. And now I, I, I believe that, you know, I believe that I'm worth it. So it's almost like a, just make it work, you know, somehow, whatever works, just, just do that. Whatever keeps you sober just for today, just do that, do that. And then good job. Pat yourself on the back when you go to bed, but then don't just rest on the laurels from yesterday of not drinking. You know, you have to find that balance of what am I proud of myself for doing so far and what's going to keep me going so that I grow even more. You know, look how far I've come now, man. I can't, I can't wait to see how much further I can go, you know? 
it's like just don't stunt your own growth you know you're you're worth so much more than that that's great and yeah it seems like one thing about recovery is that it's, there's like time to, to like be proud and reflect but then like it's always looking at the next thing you know mm-hmm. like it's you know this continuous journey where you're always always trying to move forward and stuff It is a constant balancing act, honestly. The best advice I've ever received in my entire life was from a college professor. She said, just find balance in all things, which I'm sure she didn't come up with that, but she was passing it on to me. But I have taken that so far, especially in my recovery. Balance in everything. You know, it's what's keeping me going, but also I don't want to tire myself out. They say in in AA, it's like a a big thing where they say um, your addiction is outside doing push-ups or whatever. It's waiting on you, which that's scary, but I'm not scared of them anymore because I've got so many other things going for me, you know. But, oh, I think the goal of people saying that is, you know, you don't have to constantly think about where you were before, you know, in your active drinking days, but also don't forget about those days. It's like a balance. You don't want to dwell on the past, but you just want to learn from it. It's a balance. That's awesome. Uh, my last question is, what would you tell adolescents <laughs> or youth who are experimenting with drugs or alcohol? Oh, goodness. Well, when you say adolescents and youth, I automatically think of my siblings, who are some of them getting to that age where they will be doing that kind of stuff and being put in those environments. I'm going to speak solely for alcohol because that's really all I feel um, worthy to speak about. Alcohol is a thing that is socially acceptable. It's in all the movies. It's on all the commercials. It's in weddings and vacations. And it's it's kind of unavoidable. And gosh, that's hard. (laughs) I mean, I really just want to say, don't even touch it. Don't do it. It's poison. Don't ever go near it. But is that realistic? Probably not. Not in today's world. I wish it wasn't. I, I, I wish alcohol didn't exist at all. But I'm going to keep it as, I wish alcohol was never made. <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah. I, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, you, you were saying that when you were drinking that you try to keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. How would you feel if one of your younger siblings was going through this and they were keeping it to themselves? Oh, my gosh. If one of my younger siblings was going through that, it would break my heart because there is no worse feeling than feeling like a stranger in the world disconnection. I mean, humans, we crave connection, right? Like that we are biologically, you know, inclined to connect with each other and the world around us. So addiction makes us run from that. And we have, when we have feelings of disconnection and we confide in our addiction, it it like loves that. And it says that, that feeling just gets more and more compressed inside and it, it eats at you. And, and then you end up in this just really dark dark hole and it would it breaks my heart to think about anyone um, especially children um, going through something like that because I don't think there's anything more painful than to to feel like a stranger in the world and like I said going back to going to rehab for the first time and then going to I can't tell you how many AA meetings I've been to since starting recovery and you know getting a sponsor and reaching out to all my peers that get it it's like the complete opposite feeling of of hiding away it's it's showing yourself and and being around other people who get it and that feeling of connection is just it feels so good and the and the only thing that changed from me feeling like a stranger in the world and disconnected from everyone to how i feel now worthy of connection and love and meaningful relationships is believing that i was worth that 
which that takes some serious work. It takes reflection. It takes whatever you got to do to make yourself believe it. That's what you got to do. And that's what I did. That's powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, the last question I just have for you is why would you decide to share your story with us today? I think hearing other people's stories while I was in recovery was comforting, but it was also incredibly inspiring to hear where other people had been in very similar dark places that I was. So to see where they were now, whether they had been sober for a couple of months or dozens of years, it didn't really matter. It was this through line of hope. And that really kept me going was, you know, especially in those rough days in treatment was, but you know what, so-and-so is going to be at that meeting. They're going to, I know they're going to tell more about their story. And I don't want to miss that because that makes me feel inspired to keep going. And also in general, I, I mean, the fact that this is going to be, you know, public to decrease as much stigma as possible. I had no idea that alcoholism was a physiological disease until I went to treatment. No idea. I hated myself because I because I was always mad at myself that I was constantly doing the same things and, you know, resorting to alcohol that no matter what I did, I couldn't just break the habit. You know, anytime shame is involved, there's no room for growth. Shame is literally a breeding ground of just death. There's there's all dead ends there. But being open and vulnerable and non-judgmental and willing to open your eyes to what's really going on. That's kind of how I navigated through the muddy waters of recovery um, and stuff is, is, um, what was the question? <laughs> I got, I, I will get there. It was, why did you decide to share your story with us? Oh, because I'm proud of my story. <laughs> and I used to not be, I was like, I'm not worthy to feel pride. I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to be proud of anything I've done because look at this, life that I had created for myself that was just so dark and dim and yeah. Now I feel worthy to say, yeah, I've worked really hard and it's possible. And oh my God, the amount of times that I've heard someone say, if I can do it, you can do it. But oh my God, that is so true. Like to just picture myself where I was and I'm so okay with where I am now, more than okay. I'm proud. I'm not ashamed of anything. I'm not mad at my past self. I have empathy for him, which makes me have empathy and compassion for other people. And it's not to sound too like la da but it's just, it feels, it feels tingly inside. <laughs> I said it before in rehab, but I am grateful to be a recovering alcoholic because it's led me on a journey of self-reflection, which has grown into self-discovery that I never would have known had I not struggled with it. So. Really, really amazing. And so much of your story that like just stuck out to me. And I just like really appreciate you taking the time to share, to share with us and to talk with us. I really appreciate you having me and doing this podcast because I think it's so important. The more people hear our stories, the less stigma has any sort of role in this because the problems of addiction are never going to go away as long as people are shaming addicts and shaming their stories and the decisions and the things that they've done in their life. It's only going to go away if we listen to people's stories with empathy and compassion and have hope and help each other. That's powerful. It's just a great way to live in general, you know? Right? Yeah, just, just that's it. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Um, Alex, are we good? Hmm? We could do this till like midnight. So. <laughs> <laughs>